This is The Playbook. This is Dave Meltzer with Entrepreneurs The Playbook, and I am here at the Wynn Hotel in the incredible Blue Wire Studios in the lobby of the Wynn in Las Vegas here at CES, and this is back to the future for me. And I think accordingly, if you know the company Napster, I think by definition, it's back to the future. They are the number one streaming music company, uh, longest streaming as well in the world. And the CEO, John Vlasopoulos, is here to join us to talk about the evolution of a business. And really excited to have you. Welcome to The Playbook, John. Thank you, David. It's good to be here in, uh, in sunny Las Vegas. Yeah, right. In the wind. And it's nice to have you. Well, we're old enough to know that uh, business is an evolution, not a revolution. Mm -hmm. And sometimes when you come up with revolutionary ideas in a business, uh, they come to revolutionary stops. And it's very rare for a company that is too early uh, or too smart about what they do uh, to continue to evolve. But yet, uh, the longevity of Napster just astounds me. And I've been involved with the company extremely early on mm -hmm. and some of the executives at the company and uh, well beyond, if people could imagine, uh, the means in, in which music has changed. And I know, like, for example, in the Facebook movie, I love the, the scene when they're making fun of Sean Parker. And he's yeah. like, yeah, but do you want to buy a, tire, a, a Tower Records? Like, who, yeah. who wants to buy a Tower Records? It changed the world. Uh-huh. And, you know, now you're changing the world again, knowing what you know now and learning the lessons from the past. What was some of the lessons that you've learned through your career that allowed, number one, you know, longevity, but two, to put yourself in such a great position for Web3? So the, for those of, those of your viewers watching, not just listening, I'm wearing an original Napster T-shirt. I saw 20, that. 21 Jealous. years old. <laughs> um, it's been through various moves across the uh, across the country and world, and it was like with my band T-shirts, it's my company T-shirts. So I think I'll hold on to that one. Yeah. So it's come full circle. I actually worked with the brand 20 plus years ago when I was at Bertelsmann. We lent them 50 million back in the day, and, then and that's when 50 million was a lot of money. By that's the way. true. It, it was, was a lot. It was like five billion. Then. Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, and uh, then we took a billion dollar offer, which was more money in like 99, 2000 to the industry to legitimize Napster 1.0. Uh, we had a small team at Bertelsmann. My boss was a German guy. Uh, he'd come off AOL Europe, so he was like the tech guy at the time coming in hot to the music industry, and he was like, I will save you, you know, get, a, <laughs> get on my train. And um, the music industry was coming after 20 years of growth of that Tower Records era of those shiny discs, and uh, were feeling quite strong, so we were sort of advising a more, uh, you know, collaborative approach, and he was like very coming in, coming in hard. Anyway, so we had Strauss, who was running BMG, Edgar, and we nearly got there in terms of legitimizing Napster 1.0. And I think the community that we had, in addition to the ability to listen to music, we then bought a bunch of companies that were going to be packaged into the Napster 2.0 that we never launched. Um, one of my colleagues went off to this little company, Apple. So Ollie's been at Apple forever running Apple Music. So uh, it kind of stayed in my mind as I went through other ventures through the years at AT&T and, and then television at Endemol and recently at Roblox, that there was a sort of an unfinished journey of what media could be. And I think the 20 years following Napster as it unlocked the digital revolution, um, streaming actually both video and audio had become quite, I don't wanna say boring, but not the innovation had stopped. And I think there were only two major innovations that had happened in uh, streaming media. One is kind of business model, so free to pay, and one was length of format from short to long. 
So you can kind of map over the last 20 years all the different businesses, ringtone short paid, TikTok short free, Netflix long paid, et cetera, et cetera. So what we are now luckily able to pick up, we had about 80 million users back in the day. As you said, Napster has been around. It then kind of went on top of Rhapsody, which was the first music service back in 19, uh, 2001. Um, so it's, it's been transacting as a consumer music service for the last 20 years. So now a group of investors bought it in the spring um, who come from the kind of Web3 space and traditional finance space. So uh, we feel now we've got an opportunity to evolve. We have a nice consumer business of millions of users around the world, um, material revenue, we have all the rights, and we have this strong brand. So now we're using this sort of kind of 2.5 approach of a hybrid of building a lot of these new, new features, leveraging blockchain uh, to kind of build a new era of the music business, which is an evolution, not a format, but a relationship. So we're partnering with the creator, in our case, the artist, and whatever they want to create, not just songs, but it could be short songs, long songs, video art, kind of products, subscriptions, or even um, experiences like token-gated meet and greets or virtual concerts, which is a lot of what I did at Roblox, will be their partner to enable that creativity and then bring the people uh, together. So kind of a materially different experience than you see now in market will be coming out in 2023 for Napster 3.0. And utilizing experience and education in traditional media, I think is a very important part of being able to successfully utilize 2.5 and Web 3.0. And I look at myself as being very blessed that I have an open-minded technology because you and I started at Web 1.0 in, in the very beginning. My first you know, 92 mm. venture was West Publishing, and mm -hmm. we exited in 95 for 3.4 billion which in 95 was a lot of money as well. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's a lot of money now. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, but, you know, there are some things missing just in the construct of, of business by those who understand fully Web 3.0. And, you know, there's a few people that have 20 or 30 years of true business acumen, media acumen, marketing acumen, mm -hmm. contributing to uh, what will be a remarkable, you know, I, speaking of the analogy, when in 1992, when I graduated law school and told my mom I was going to work in the internet, not only did my mom tell me the internet was a fad, but when I started working for West Publishing, I presented to the Supreme Court and Justice Scalia, who was at the time deemed to be one of the smarter and more intelligent Americans, told me that nobody would ever do research on the internet, that you needed books. Mm -hmm. That's the way that I see Web3 today is there's a bunch of my moms and Justice Scalia's out there uh -huh. that just don't get it. So I think there's, there's the new, um, so we've had different areas of like, or areas of mobile unlock, um, which helps Spotify and other companies in that era, and kind of web unlock. So I think there's the technical aspects of blockchain and Web3 that will unlock a new era. But there are also a bunch of things in the media industry that have nothing to do necessarily with Web3 that have been looked over, for example, people. So um, media for the last 20 years has been much more of a solo consumption experience. Um, we launched a music service at AT&T 20 years ago, um, and we had like a million tracks, and it was, that was amazing. Now, it's, now we have 170 million tracks. It's like more and more fire hosing, uh, whether it's video with Hulu and Netflix, of shows and movies or music, but it's usually you and the content coming at you as opposed to a social experience. So one thing, the metaphor we've been using <coughs> as we talk to press and partners and, and investors, think about a festival. So now media streaming, specifically music streaming, like going to a festival, you pay your streaming revenue ticket per month, the gate, you get in, but then there's no one at the festival. 
and you can just listen to music through speakers. It's not very fun. Right. So, so we think the more um, fun part is, again, bringing in, if you love a band, Sad Night Dynamite is one I talk about. It's a great, great band on Warner. So if I want to go deeper into that experience, the current business is very segregated. So live is separate to streaming, is separate to merch. So naturally, you'll see in the new Napster areas to kind of get collectibles of bands that you want to go deeper on beyond the 9.99, 10.99 a month. And then beyond that, obviously, at a festival, you have stages and experiences, which is a lot of the stuff we did at Roblox, virtual events, meet and greets, uh, and concerts. So the notion of fandom can be unlocked more when you, you allow the fans and the artists to connect directly. Um, and it goes from an era of kind of fan to member all the way through to kind of co-creator. So atomizing music where you maybe share your beats with me and I do some lyrics and these guys do some beats and everyone's out in different parts of the world. And maybe there's a Napster token, which is what we had at Roblox with the Robux token. It's kind of like a stable coin, yeah. but we weren't on chain. So I think it's an exciting era where finally the fan can participate in the ecosystem, not just a consumer, but also as a contributor. Uh, to the art and artists can collaborate with each other and they're not again specifically limited to doing just a song but they can express themselves in more uh, creative ways it's so important to hear what you're saying and a lot of people may have missed one of the things that i think is incredibly important and it takes me back to a mentor that i had uh, dr jacobs at qualcomm mm -hmm. took me around he, he had a warehouse of intellectual property and, you know, he's showing me all this stuff from the 60s, the 70s, and the 80s that he owned all this intellectual property. And mm. he was telling me about Qualcomm as a business and what they were doing with Brew at the time and all these other things. And he said, but Dave, he said, now that I've shown you all this, what business do you think I'm in at Qualcomm? And I said, well, you're in the full mode chip business. You're, you're a chip guy. You know, and he's like, no, I own the customer. That's right. And it really resonated with me in my late 20s mm -hmm. because I didn't see that at all for Qualcomm. I was from San Diego, mm -hmm. you know, just got hired at Samsung, you know, and I, my mind was so small. And I see so many people not understanding what you just said because what you were talking about is truly owning the customer by creating a consciousness or a community. Mm -hmm. And we have all these capabilities now. Um, how do we create these communities today with so much, mm -hmm. so much segregated information, so many segregated platforms. Uh, is it through a common frequency like music or is it somehow the scale, scope, and size of the audience is so big that you know communities can be segregated because we have access to so much more of the, com the total addressable market or total addressable community? So um, I like the notion of the interest graph. Right, so what you love, we're all sitting in a room, and if I can kind of profile you and see all the music you love and movies you watch and TV and restaurants, that's a representation of who you are as a person. A lot of that data has not been kind of shared publicly up to this point. So I think one unlock, we're, we're focusing on a sector with music first, but if we get that right, we'll be expanding to other kind of sectors around interest. So we think music is so visceral. Mm -hmm. You know, during our teenage years, the 20s, the 30s, <coughs> the 40s, the 50s, whatever it is, music is such a... Um, a way that we choose to express ourselves, how we spend our time listening to music personally, going to events, concerts, uh, and the connection that we have with other people is, is very strong. Um, so we think music is a great place to start. Music kind of onboarded digital back in the day and then other types of media followed. So we think music, music is a natural first on-ramp. Um, and the notion, again, of community, everyone wants to find people that have similar interests to them. We're sitting on all this data, 20 years of data, so we can kind of help, again, fans connect with other fans, 
plans connect with artists geographically around interests. We think that, again, the social aspect that's been missing the last 20 years is key. And then you can start doing a lot of the things that we started doing with mobile back in the day around, I remember I was one of the founding members of the Mobile Marketing Association, and it feels like time has been frozen, and we're talking about the same things with kind of blockchain and rewards and, and kind of tokenized rewards for, for brands and media. So this year, I did a panel this morning, I think as now brands and media companies are getting into the space, the consumer will not hear, we're very anti-jargon. So if, if I go to a, uh, a NASCAR event or whatever, and I have my ticket, I can go around the event and collect different things and pins that I have. And if I collect all of them, it unlocks something else. So it's just making kind of things more fun, connecting in a concert with other people there for fine and share drinks with people. So just, I think having the people connected and then having a platform that people can get rewards and have the data owned by them, I think is a, so it's, it's going from an attention economy to more of this kind of commercially driven economy where our time is valuable, but we can kind of do things that make our lives better. You want to make what, million people happy? A billion, over a billion. A billion people, I'm sorry. <laughs> over, over, don't limit me. So, and I think that unlock is people are happiest, which I've been doing is when they can find people that um, make them happy, who maybe share not exactly the same, but share enough overlapping interests that they can feel good, they can relate, they're growing and learning. So again, we think there's nothing happier than dancing up and down at an event with your friends, with a band that you love, or that so song that makes you feel good. So it's just been solo. So again, connecting it together and making it more, if you love making playlists, why can't we make that into a job? Right? So as opposed to hogging all the creativity at the center, we want to push that out. Maybe the Meltzer you know, playlist is going to be the most popular one. You could maybe earn something in the ecosystem in terms of credits and tokens and rewards, and that could be a job. And maybe you're a kid in you know, South America, and that becomes something that you can do as a living. And you've always had an abundant philosophy. And you know, obviously, the original Napster was, in my opinion, the first open source major company uh, that had the same collective type of attitude and perspective. Mm -hmm. um, and every time that I see there's this open source with data, you know, sharing data, and you know, when you're wearing that watch right there, there's a lot of data that is actually being shared, but it's not being shared back to you and being mm -hmm. able to be utilized for you. And yet you actually are creating a two-sided marketplace of data where it's not just going to the platform. We're actually able to aggregate data with each other and find similarities and make that connection both emotionally and technically or digitally. Mm -hmm. um, whenever that falls into thing, the biggest nemesis to Napster was obviously legislation, mm -hmm. legal, uh, types of uh, interference that, that occurred in the, in the rights of open uh, sharing mm -hmm. um, and ideas. Uh, do you see any of those uh, hurdles today where you have this open source, open market with creators and fans and merch, et cetera? Have we moved past that closed-ended relationship that exists with intellectual property? I think we have. I mean, we definitely had a lot of headwinds 20 years ago. Um, and now going out again, I've been wearing this T-shirt around the world from Dubai, Singapore, London. Do you only have one? Uh, I do only have one. Oh, jeez. But we're, um, God, we're like printing this, more. I we'll, thought we'll when they took my badge from CES, it was going to be expensive. Don't yeah. let that shirt. We can't tell too many people as you're wearing it. We're printing more. We've had, I've had taxi drivers in New York you know, shout out the windows. Going, oh, Napster. Yeah. Right. So there's there's a, definitely a brand love um, for the brand. So I think now um, touring... You know, a lot of people even know it uh, at dinner party chit chat, but streaming services, unless you're like the top, top um, artist on the platform, you're not necessarily able to make a living. So we also, we want to make people happy by being able to make money from their art and potentially also empowering consumers to have like an ecosystem and an industry where they can make 
money from things they do promoting and playlisting and things like within the music, uh, making beats and and um, so I think you know the ecosystem that we have uh, now for Napster is is um, being very welcomed by the broader independent community, major labels, artists because when you're not making money on a streaming platform, usually you would make it up by touring. And unfortunately with Brexit and the war and inflation, touring is now often a money losing proposition. So the we've gone from like headwinds to strong tailwinds where everyone, everyone's going, the small guys are too small, the big guys are, are too kind of safe. We need like the Goldilocks in the middle. Of course, we all love Napster. We need somewhere safe that we can jump on board and we're ready to go. And already at Roblox, we've made hundreds of millions of dollars in kind of, we call it Birch, virtual merchandise, which are kind of like collectibles or, or NFTs. So we've already seen the playbook. So they're all, no consumer is only limited. I only want to spend 10.99 or 9.99 on music per month. Everyone wants to spend more, but haven't been able to in the ecosystem. So it's sort of getting out the way a little bit and empowering artists and fans to, to connect and allowing them to you know, offer different things to them that fans might enjoy. And when you add people in, um, you can start flexing a little bit, right? Because you have guys and girls and guys and guys and they want to represent themselves. That self-expression that we had in the old days of ringtones, it's like, why would ringtones make money? It didn't make any sense. <laughs> there were shorter versions of the longer versions that we were selling, but it was self-expression because if I had a cool ringtone and my ACDC black and back and black and, uh, and people would go, yeah, fucking ACDC. And it was like a, it was connection. So exactly. I, I think a lot of the first era of, of quote unquote Web3 has been kind of investor driven where people have been prospecting and buying and kind of hoarding. There's been nowhere to put it. So the nice thing we had in metaverse platforms, you could kind of show off what you had. So we think, again, in terms of the Napster platform, we already have a community which will, will grow. And then if you see on my profile, oh, you've got the original AC, you were like one of the first hundred, I was one of them. So you can kind of represent, and it becomes a social thing, which is life, right? So whatever you're wearing, you want to flex physically, and then you can start to flex digitally, and, and that gets you connections with other people and guys to girls and guys and guys, and, and you know it raises your status. You get more invested in the ecosystem, and then it moves away from being a commodity, and then the more you use it, you start earning... And uh, so the other thing is they've been with business models have been unnecessarily siloed. So the live industry, I went to see the script in Singapore, uh, a good Irish band, people paid $150, $200 for a ticket. 7,000 of the most crazy fans jumping up and down, knowing every song, and then they leave with nothing. So I think that's, if you center it around the fan, there's no reason that the live industry should be separate it's around the fan. I want to watch the show and then I want to listen to the band. So imagine after the show, you can watch the after show on Napster or have like a VIP experience so you can get collectibles that you do on Napster. So we think combining it, once you center it around the fan experience and fandom, everything else kind of falls into place and then adding community. And it just makes music fun again. It's like I have a 12 and a <coughs> an 11 year old and I think music is becoming more background, which is depressing. I was a DJ a long, long time <laughs> ago. And I think getting people more proactively involved, which we kind of had it at Roblox from a creator economy perspective. People were creating, people were consuming. It was participatory. I did a lot of you know, interactive TV shows at Endemol. So it's like more, more interactive and engaging. So we think the social, the interactivity, and the rewards uh, is great. Great for brands, great for consumers, great for the industry. And we can hopefully grow the pie and again, make people kind of happier and more connected. Yeah, and I love the idea of centering on this new digital middle class that is really missing. Yep. It, it's not disparate in economy, it's actually the middle class of you know the $27 training with a thousand sales a month, mm -hmm. right? Th th there's this specific uh, ability of 3.0 that's going to allow us to have you know this middle class revenue monetization tool, but also 
these middle class communities that are part of a greater whole, these big Goliaths of communities that enjoy content in all different formats. Um, mm. You know, it was funny when you were talking about the ringtones. I was one of the first people to get a Sprint ESPN phone, mm -hmm. and it had the did it it, and it probably was one of the most remarkable marketing tools for me. Is uh -huh. when my phone rang, everybody commented. Yeah, right? they wanted to know me. They're like, "Where'd you get that phone?" Meanwhile, it was you know one of the worst flip phones I've ever had, uh -huh. but because it had that ringtone, everybody wanted that phone, and it built a community uh, right. as well. Okay, last question. <clears throat> you and I have seen a lot of evolution in, in technology mm -hmm. in, in the space. If we're sitting here 20 years uh, from now, you know, what is the one thing that people today, you know, doubt when when they when they look at you and you're having conversations and you know, I told you about Justice Scalia saying people won't do research on the internet or, you know, people told me when I was CEO of Samsung's first convergence device, nobody will ever be able to talk in full duplex color across the world for free. And I knew where we were going. I didn't know how long it would take. Mm -hmm. What is one of the things that you think uh, is unbelievable today that 20 years from now will, will be commonplace? So I think the... Um Again, like you, I think going through eras of my boss in the music industry, again, saying internet thing, which is just a fad, and yeah. should focus on CDs. So I think it's, and, and it's not, you know, when you're, when you're in the era, it's, it's obviously in hindsight, it's nice to say, but at the time, it's kind of difficult to really see around the corner. So I think the, um, the notion of empowering, which is very passionate for me, so we, we, again, we saw signs of this in terms of the next 20 years unfolding um, in the metaverse, where again, you have a 15-year-old in Nigeria or whatever who's able to earn a living um, from doing something that they're passionate about from their house. Um, and then that they can also connect with other people that share their interests and chat and find community when they haven't found community before. So I think the exciting thing, which maybe now seems, oh, let's pie in the sky, um, that you will have this whole new kind of creator economy, broader than the creator economy now, um, and that all the experiences that we take as being passive will be much more kind of interactive and proactive, that you can get involved um, in them, um, and hopefully we're creating more jobs where within the, you know, it's not this centralized group of gatekeepers, but kind of it's, it's distributed, and hopefully, again, people then will be able to, there'll be new genres of music and new types of media, and uh, you'll, have, you'll be working with people across borders, and, and uh, people will feel more empowered, again, in the developing world to, to kind of have these different um, opportunities that they haven't been able to have up to now. Um, and... Um, and I think that's really exciting in, in terms of uh, getting people to participate. Art is amazing. And I think creation tools as well. Um, I had a remix app 12 years ago. We, we licensed all the stems and we did Kanye and Gaga and you could do like idiot-proof remixing. And I still feel the coolest I've ever been right. creating my version of the track. So I think it's empowering people that everyone is a creator. Um, some people will do it for, for fun and some people will do it you know, for, for a living. And it just changes that whole economy and, and hopefully gets people connected and happier. Yeah, we're on the precipice, the inception of co-creation and collaboration worldwide. Mm -hmm. And music is always one of the first and also, I think, resonates most as it is vibration, it is frequency, so it resonates in its own essence with, with each other, right? We can get an emotion evoked. So many people will hear a song from the 50s and for example, as I'm getting older, it reminds me of family members that aren't here anymore, mm -hmm. just from hearing a song. Mm -hmm. And I think a lot of that co-creation and collaboration is going to create 
not only opportunity, but a true connection mm -hmm. that's much needed today as we continually see interference and separation among us. So once again, John, you're leading the way. We appreciate you. It's so nice to see that T-shirt. Mm -hmm. I haven't seen one in years. I didn't know if it was actually a we'll reprint. Get we'll get <laughs> I'll take a reprint even, and yeah. people yell at me in the cabs in New York as well. Thank you so much. John Velasopoulos, is that how I pronounced it last time? I hope so. Anyway, the CEO of Napster, you thought they went away, but they're here to stay. Don't even call it a comeback. They've been here for years. Thanks for joining me here at The Win. This is Dave Meltzer with Entrepreneurs, The Playbook. Thank you.